Guys, let's turn to Psalm 1. Psalm 1, which bears out the uh, song that we just sang, I Shall Not Be Moved. The first psalm gives us a great contrast. Because really there are only two kinds of people in the world. And the real issue that divides uh, people is their relationship to God. Do they have a relationship to God through Jesus Christ or do they not? And if they do, then Psalm 1 describes the godly, the way of the godly. And it also describes the way of the ungodly. And so those who live their lives as though there is no God to themselves, essentially setting themselves up as God, the Bible here describes very clearly what the way of the ungodly will be. But it also describes the opposite, the way of the godly. The psalmist wrote this psalm to introduce the whole book of psalms with a view to encouraging us to choose the way of the godly as opposed to the ungodly. It is really a wisdom psalm, one that is very useful for us because it really sets out very clearly these two ways of living. And it would lead us to ask the question, which are we more like? Are we more like the tree that's described here or are we more like the chaff? Are we the godly or are we the ungodly? Follow with me as I read the first psalm and then we'll look at these two ways more clearly. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. It's short, but it's very direct, and there's a lot here. And in that last verse, the two ways. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, the godly, you could say, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. So let's look at these two ways. The way of the godly. How are the godly described, the righteous described? Now, Understand, when we say godly, we're not, again, saying uh, godly in and of your own ability or your own goodness, but because you have thrown yourself on the mercy of God. And we know that it's Jesus who makes us righteous. It's His righteousness that we receive when we give our lives to Him and receive His forgiveness and His love. His righteousness. We are clothed in His righteousness. And therefore, this psalm is looking ahead to him who can make us godly. 
and uh, not in the way of the ungodly. The truth is we're all in the way of the ungodly, aren't we? Until we meet Jesus. We're all hopeless and helpless until we meet him and receive him. But here we find described the life of the person who is committed to God and has a relationship to God. And we know that the way you have a relationship to God is through the Lord Jesus Christ. The godly, though, disassociate themselves from the wicked. There is a deliberate choice. Look at that first verse. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Has made a decision, a choice to disassociate himself or herself from the wicked or the ungodly. The Expositor's Bible Commentary uses this word here, disassociate, because it is a strong and decisive act that is being described here. The godly person does not walk, does not live day by day listening to, following the counsel of the ungodly or associate with them in their behavior. Not seeking to be like those who have set themselves against what God says in his word. Blessed is the man, happy is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Now there's a progression here, isn't it? Who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. If you start walking in the counsel of the ungodly. It will lead to the next step, nor stand in the path of sinners. So here you have the image of the person who's walking, and then they're standing, and then the third step, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Many times if you begin to open yourselves to the counsel of the ungodly, you may think it's just a passing thing. You may be uh, interested or somehow intrigued by what you know to be that which is not godly at all. You just want to hear what they have to say or what their suggestion is. And the next thing you know, you're, you're thinking about it more. You're standing in the way of sinners. And then finally, you're sitting in the seat, and now you're scornful. That describes the progression that has happened in the lives of many people who surround themselves with the wrong counselors. They're listening to the wrong voices. They're hearing, uh, they're letting their mind be filled with the wrong advice and the wrong direction. It starts out very innocently, it may seem, and the next thing you know, it's taking over. And before you know it, the ungodly have now planted these thoughts of scorn toward God, the Word of God, the things of God, and people can be drawn into actually participating. And so, yes, I think, obviously, the ungodly, people who don't know Jesus Christ, this is going to be who they are. This is going to describe the general course of their life. It could be moderated to some degree if a person is a, a not a believer, but yet they've been around people or have had people in their life who are believers. They may not be as directly scornful as others are, but
but yet it may just be that in their mind, in their heart, they're scornful. And then there are others who are just openly that way. I mean, they're scornful verbally and visibly uh, against everything that is taught by Scripture or the things of God. And there are Christians who can be drawn into this way of thinking and living for a time. I do believe that. I believe believers sometimes can look and sound like people who aren't believers at all. They can give themselves over to this way of thinking. Now, I think if they're true believers, they're always going to be believers. I think, I think I've shared before a young man I went to seminary with. He was older than me, actually, when we went to seminary. He'd been in the Navy, and uh, his dad was a pastor. But he said that from about the age of 16 until 25, he was already a believer. And he said, I know I was a believer, but all through that time, I was absolutely in total rebellion against God. And he said, I knew it in my mind. I knew what I was doing was wrong, but I did and tried everything that I knew was evil. And then he came back to where God wanted him to be. And he rededicated his life to the Lord. And he has been a pastor now for 30 plus years. And has done a wonderful job. So I do believe it is possible for Christians to have extended periods of time. If they begin to surround themselves with the wrong voices. With the ungodly. If the ungodly begin to have more influence on you than the Word of God and the people of God, then you can begin to sound and act more like the ungodly than the godly. It's hard to sort that out sometimes. And that's why we're not the judge, are we? God is the judge. He knows the heart. But as the people of God, we ought to desire that we're going to be like this description of the godly, the righteous, rather than the ungodly. And here is uh, the great encouragement in the very first psalm that that is the way that we are to, to follow. That's the way that we are to seek. So the man who is blessed does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. But what's the... What's the description of this man, this righteous man? His delight is in the law of the Lord. And he delights, and in his law he meditates day and night. His delight is in the word of God, the truth of God. And he meditates on that day and night. That describes who we are to be. You see, the godly instead associate themselves with God's will, disassociate with the counsel of the wicked, and instead associate yourself with the will of God, the word of God, the truth of God. That is an act of the will. Now, the Holy Spirit is urging us to do that as Christians. Uh, all we have to do is cooperate with what he's urging us to do. He'll show us that way. He'll give us that impulse to do that. But we have to be willing to do it and to allow him to have his way 
in our lives. Verse 3, he shall, be he, sh he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Jesus spoke of those who do the will of the Father in heaven. And that should be our great desire. And this should be seen as a great positive, not a negative. To want to do the, the will of God, to want to be like Jesus. That should be the desire of our heart. And instead of being scornful of someone who wants to do that, we should want to be that way ourselves. We should encourage people to follow the leadership of God in their life. The godly, the way of the godly, they will enjoy a life of fullness, fruitfulness, prosperity. That's what's described here. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. The word planted here conveys the idea of being transplanted. God has planted you there. God has transplanted you from being in the desert or in a place that is barren to being like a tree that has been planted by the rivers of water. And so that's what God has done for you and for me. He has planted us deliberately in a way that we will prosper. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean health and wealth gospel. That's not what I'm talking about here. God can give us anything he chooses to give us, can't he? He has the resources. He has everything. But the point is, he will bless us with what we need to be pleasing to him, to honor him, to glorify him, and to be able to do what he wants us to do. And these are things, really, this prosperity is, is really not about the abundance of things. Life doesn't consist of the abundance of things, does it? It's about your peace and your fulfillment and the sense that you're doing something with your life that matters. Eternal things, an eternal weight of glory. This is the life that takes on the quality of the evergreen tree. Its leaf does not wither. Beautiful, consistent. And so the way of the godly is a life that is consistent consistently just like a an evergreen is is green even in the in the cold even in the most difficult of circumstances we can be like the tree that has been planted by the rivers of water always healthy and strong spiritually and God can use that as a great witness to those who don't know him we need to be consistent as we follow Jesus he will make us that way if we will submit to him. And the godly are delivered in the day of judgment. If you look down at the description of the ungodly, look at verse uh, 5. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. This is sometimes misunderstood. It's not saying that the ungodly won't be judged. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment. Oh, they're going to be judged at the great white throne judgment. By stand, he means they're not going to be able to stand. Not going to be able to stand before God. 
and be able to withstand the scrutiny of the righteousness and holiness of God. And so that's what he means by they won't stand. They won't be able to stand tall and strong and righteous before God because of Jesus Christ in them. They won't be able to stand in that day. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Someday all that's going to remain is the great congregation in heaven around the throne of God. And those who don't know Jesus won't be able to be a part of that because they have rejected his love and grace. And they have no, they've had no desire to honor and worship and glorify the name of Jesus. So heaven will be a foreign place to them. It will be a place that is not right for them, not fit for them because they have rejected all that God wants to provide. That's one of the really heart-sickening things that I experience as a pastor sometimes, and you've experienced it too, to be with people when a death has occurred. The family, the whole bunch is ungodly from a biblical description. They don't know Jesus. And when they gather together, if they talk about the idea of heaven... It's made in their own image. Heaven is just, uh, you know, a glorified uh, camping trip or it's a glorified golf course or a fishing boat. No, that's not what heaven is about. And so if you don't know Jesus and you don't love Jesus and you don't want to honor him and glorify him, heaven is just not the place for the ungodly. It isn't. You have to be made ready for heaven. You have to be made right with God. Because when we are in heaven, it's going to be all about Jesus. All about the Lord. All about Him. Worshiping Him. Serving Him. Whatever He has for us to do in heaven. But it's He's going to be the focus. The center of attention. And so... When we are worshiping Him here and focusing on Him here and loving Him and lifting Him up, we are doing here what we're going to be doing in heaven. And that's why it's such a great contrast with the ungodly, the people here who have no interest whatsoever in the things of God, no interest in Jesus, no interest in worship. Heaven will not be for them. Because they are not ready to be in the place that only God can prepare us for. So it's such a great contrast. The godly, though, can stand in the judgment and will be able to be in the congregation of the righteous because we have been made ready for that place and that day. It's not... It's not a pride thing or an arrogance. It's not that we deserve it or that we can make ourselves worthy or ready. We can't. But He makes us ready. He makes us worthy by His mercy and His grace. So the way of the godly. Now contrasting the way of the ungodly is described here. And the term ungodly is 
used very directly. Verse 4, the ungodly are not so. They're not like what he is described as the righteous who prosper, who are spiritually well, who are planted by the rivers of water. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Notice there is no pronouncement of blessing here. The way of the godly is introduced with the word blessed is the man. Happy is the man. Being spiritually fortunate, spiritually blessed. The blessedness of the godly is a gift from God himself. Now the word cursed or cursed is not used here, but it, it's, it's, it's implied because the word blessed is not here. The opposite of blessing is cursing. And there is no blessing on the life of the ungodly. The ungodly are not so, not blessed, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. It's a bleak picture here, painted. From the vantage point of God, this is the description of the ungodly. Like the chaff, the farmer would cast his gathered grain up into the breeze so that the grain could be separated from the chaff. He was only interested in the grain. The chaff was useless. The chaff was worthless. And so by describing the ungodly this way, he is saying that their life, the way they have conducted their life, is worthless. It doesn't mean that their life, their intrinsic created life God made them in his image they're not worthless in that sense but the way they have used the life God has given them is worthless it's like the chaff that just blows away there's no value to it there's no eternal weight to what they're doing with their life and so their life may appear to be filled with with uh, Beautiful things, wealthy things, but in the end, it's like chaff that'll just blow away. It's gone. It disappeared. You know, we've heard this awful thing this weekend about the, this terrible uh, Jeffrey Epstein found hanged in his cell. All kinds of speculation about, you know, what happened. Apparent suicide. A billionaire. A man who was a billionaire. And you could only describe that life, the things that he did with what he had. You can only describe it as worthless. It's worse than worthless. Chaff. What a waste. What a waste. The way of the ungodly is described by worthlessness. A life that is being thrown away. It could be used by God for so much good to bring glory to him and yet utterly worthless. The way of the godly is hope of the ungodly is hopeless too. Hopelessness. There's no future there. As we looked at the description of the judgment, therefore the ungodly shall not stand, shall not be able to stand or withstand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, it's hopeless. They're not going to be able to face eternity. There will be no eternal life for the person 
who does not know Jesus Christ. And there is a hopelessness there, an emptiness that describes the way of the ungodly. Perhaps that's why they try to fill their lives with things, so many things. Always searching for something new to fill the void that only God can fill. Hopelessness, aimlessness. And the way of the ungodly ends in destruction. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Destruction. In the end, you know, Jesus talked about the broad way and the narrow way, didn't he? He really essentially told the same story that Psalm 1 tells. That there is a narrow way that leads to life. And he said, very few will find it. Sometimes Christians get really uh, concerned, I think. Not just concerned for the souls of those who are lost, but I've talked to Christians who sometimes say, well, if, if the Bible is right, why are there so many people who don't agree with it? Why are there so many people who don't believe in Jesus? Well, that's what Jesus said, isn't it? He said, the way that leads to life, the narrow road, very few will find it. But the way that leads to destruction, perishing, is a broad way. Many will find it. I mean, Jesus told us this is the way it was going to be. So it should not surprise us. It should not shake us. That there are more ungodly than there are godly. Because that is the way of human nature. Rebellion. We're all in rebellion against God until we come to know Jesus. And so you don't have to do anything to be in the ungodly category here. You don't have to do anything other than just be a fallen human being. Sin. And that's everybody. Everybody's in that spot. Until you let Jesus plant you by the rivers of living water. Give you eternal life. Forgive your sin. Cleanse you. And so there are so many who are ungodly. And very few, comparatively, who are godly. The way of the ungodly ends in destruction. Such a life has no future and no hope of an eternal presence in uh, heaven with God. The summary verse of the psalm here is the last one. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. He knows your way. He knows your life. And so as you seek to, to be honoring to the name of Jesus, He knows what your living and what you're going through and by knowing it implies that he cares he not only is informationally aware he knows you and he loves you and he's going to provide what you need as you live for him but the way of the ungodly is different they choose to live their lives apart from God rejected rejecting his counsel, rejecting his love. And the end of that life is destruction and perishing. And so the way 
of the godly and the way of the ungodly. What a contrast. And as we said, it requires no decision to follow the way of the ungodly. Every human being is already on that road. If they're old enough to, to be of the age of accountability, if they live that, if they live long enough, every human being will be a sinner before God. Willfully a sinner before God. But Jesus will set us on a different path. The way of the godly. And he'll make us righteous in his sight. And how wonderful it is that we can walk a path that has eternal value. A life that is worth living. You wouldn't be here on a Sunday night if you weren't with your life wanting to bring honor to the name of Jesus. So I commend you for walking that path that points to Jesus, brings honor to him. We'll be glad that we did. And we'll be glad that we had the privilege to tell others that there's a way for their life to really count. And that is to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. The great contrast, the difference maker, is Jesus himself. Will you pray with me? We thank you, Lord, that you will take us as sinners, ungodly, and you will forgive us and cleanse us of our sin, and that you'll set us on a path of, of a life that really has meaning and value, a life that is directed at you and points to you. So we pray, Lord, that you'll forgive us where we fall short as we walk the way of the godly. And help us to always know that it's only you living in us that makes us right in your sight. We're so grateful for your grace and mercy. And we pray that you'll help us to live our lives in a way that truly will honor your name. Lord, for those who don't know you, the ungodly, we pray that you'll give us a great desire to reach them and to share your love with them. To let them know that there's a better way. There is a way to find life. And the way, the truth, and the life is Jesus. So give us boldness that we might bring people to you. And we thank you that you will save and forgive all who call upon your name. Now in this time of invitation, we pray that you'll direct us and lead us. And Lord, if there are commitments we need to make to you publicly or privately right now, we pray that you'll lead us and help us to be obedient to you. And may you be honored even in these moments with the decisions of our heart. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.